you please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44, beginning in verse 1, reading through the end of the chapter, verse 34. Reminder that this is God's holy and inspired word that we now give our attention to. Genesis 44. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did, as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? For how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose cup, uh, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose cup, uh, in whose hand the cup was found, shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then he said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I might set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he could leave his father, his father would, uh, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us. Or, or, sorry, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, 
and I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the Lord uh, let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would be with us now in this reading and preaching of your word. May it go forth in power. May your spirit work in our hearts, drawing us closer to Christ and working in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. We continue on in this narrative of the interactions between Joseph and his brothers. This is the, the climax of the test. Joseph has been testing his brothers to see, has their character changed? And this section in particular is one of my favorite sections in Judah and uh, Genesis, particularly this, this speech from Judah. And it's interesting here because often we focus on Joseph as being the, the main character of this section of Genesis. And he, he is uh, the main focus in many ways. But Judah also is a significant character. And we see in, in many ways his, uh, his character arc coming to a, a climax here. This is a, a man who's done many wicked things. This is a man who has sold his brother into slavery. Here we see a man redeemed by the grace of God who's now willing to offer himself as a sacrifice for his brother. So as we look at this passage, I want us to, uh, to see the grace of God at work here. The grace of God at work in changing a sinner. The grace of God at work in a picture of the gospel found in Judah as well. And then to apply that to our hearts and lives. As we look at this uh, at this passage, we need to again remember the to, to understand the significance of what Judah is saying here. We need to remember again the context of this plan that Joseph has. What is it that he is is doing here? You'll remember back in Genesis 37 when Joseph is sold into slavery. You see two main things happening in, in chapter 37. You see the on the one hand the extreme jealousy of the brothers. The fact that they hated him because of his dreams. They couldn't speak a, a kind word to him. There was just uh, envy and jealousy and, and conflicts all the way through. And then in uh, chapter 37, when Joseph is sent to check in on them, we see that this jealousy then becomes paired with opportunity. They are far away from the family. People don't know them where they are, most likely. And they see Joseph in the distance and they realize we have an opportunity now to get rid of him. Initially, they're going to kill him. Of course, they, they end up selling him into slavery. But we see the jealousy of their hearts coming to fruition in action as the opportunity arises. Their sin becomes uh, external and apparent. And in Joseph's test here, he is providing the brothers again with the, potentially the same two things. We saw last time in, in chapter 43, specifically in the, in the banquet, there was an opportunity of jealousy to arise in the hearts of the brothers. As Joseph shows favor towards Benjamin, Benjamin receives five times as much food as everyone else. As I mentioned last week, that is not an insignificant amount of food. That's, that, that's a noticeable thing. The brothers realize that there's, there's something different here. 
And if their hearts had not been changed, that is such the, that is just the kind of thing that would incite their jealousy if it was there. Here, back at home, Benjamin is the beloved, faithful, uh, or the, the loved, favored child of Jacob. And here even in Egypt with this stranger, Benjamin is again the favored child of the family. Favoritism being shown towards him. Of course, it's not enough to just be jealous. You have to have an opportunity to act. And that explains what Joseph is doing here with this, this incident with the cup. It appears to the brothers that Benjamin is a thief. The cup is placed into his cup. And of, of course, we know that he's being framed. He didn't actually steal the cup. But you have to think about it from the perspective of the brothers. Here they are. They, they buy their food. They're getting ready to leave. They, they head out. And all of a sudden, this guy comes and, and he accuses them of, of theft. They're like, we, we didn't take anything. They protest their innocence. In fact, they, they join in. Yes, if, if one of us has taken it, they should die. They don't realize that. The cup is going to be found in Benjamin's sack. Whether or not they actually believe that Benjamin took the cup, from all external evidence, he is a thief who has stolen this. He is guilty and deserves the punishment of being left, killed, or made a slave in Egypt. Think about it for a moment. If they thought about Benjamin the same way as they thought about Joseph. You could not have a more ready-made excuse to get rid of Benjamin. You go home and you say, we couldn't do anything. He stole the man's cup, this silver chalice. What were we supposed to do? We, 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 we asked for this not to happen. We begged him. But he let us Go, and he kept Benjamin behind. He took it. He was guilty. There's nothing we could have done about it. They didn't even have to lie if they didn't want to. It was a ready-made excuse to get rid of Benjamin. That's part of the, the power of this test. Benjamin has been treated with favoritism by their father. He's been treated with favoritism by this man. And now it appears that Benjamin is guilty of a crime and they could have him out of their lives forever. And as we look at this text, the brothers don't remain silent. They don't leave him behind. But we have this beautiful speech from Judah in verses 18 to 34. And I want to I draw our attention to two particular features of this speech. First, I want us to notice the particular concern he has for his father. We see this in verses 29 through 31. He says, if you take, uh, he, he, he recounts to Joseph what had happened and the, the words that they had spoken to her father, the fact that they were required to bring Benjamin down and their father had said that if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. And Judah makes the argument, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. 
Judah is trying to, to make the argument to Joseph, our father is an old man whose heart is, is set upon this child. If, if you take him, it will bring destruction to our father. He will die of a broken heart. So please have compassion, have pity. Don't send us home to see that. Judah says in verse 34, How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah loves his father. He is concerned for him. And he recognizes the pain that would come to him. The results if they return home without Benjamin in tow. But Judah recognizes as well it's not enough to just appeal to Joseph's pity and compassion. There's been, as far as they can tell, there's been a crime committed. They don't know that Benjamin is innocent, but and whether Judah believed it or not, we don't know, but from all external evidence, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So something has to be done about that. It's not enough to just say, have pity on our father, just ignore this and let Benjamin go. And so the second aspect of Judah's speech is this. He offers himself in Benjamin's place in verses 32 and 33. Your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before, the fa- before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. He recognizes Joseph's not just going to ignore the theft. There has to be a punishment. There has to, you know, the, the crime has to be paid for. It can't just be ignored. And so he offers himself, okay, you deserve a slave because of this crime. I'll be the slave. I will step in. I will stay here. Send Benjamin back. I will take his place. We need to recognize the significance of this offer. Judah is willing to stay in Egypt for the rest of his life in place of Benjamin. He is willing to give up everything. He's got children at home. He's got a family back home. He's willing to leave his sons behind. He is willing to give up everything to save his brother, to save his father in a certain sense. This is a a significant moment in Judah's life that he would say these things, that he would display this kind of concern and compassion for his father, that he would be willing to sacrifice himself, to give up everything, to rescue Benjamin, to take his punishment. Instead, I want to turn and focus. I want to to focus, broadly speaking, on the redemption of God at work here. And I want to first look at how that's working in the life of Judah. Let's consider this redemption of Judah. First, this concern for his father. I want us to go back and remember again. The heart of Judah in Genesis 37 and 38. In those two chapters, Judah did not care about the heart of his dad. He did not care about the consequences of his actions. Remember, Judah is the one who said, let us sell Joseph 
to the Ishmaelites. Let us have let us have a little bit of compassion. He is our brother, after all. Let's not kill him. Let's make a little money off him. How callous does your heart have to be to say those words? To do that kind of action, to ignore Joseph's pleas, his cries. To ignore the heart of his father, a heart that would be broken. To sell Joseph and to make some money. That's the heart of Judah in chapter 37. And in chapter 38, he leaves the family. He goes off on his own. He moves away. He, he intermingles with the, the Canaanites. And we see just this, this wickedness um, progressing in his family. Such wickedness that God kills two of his sons. That is a heart that is callous. A heart that is not concerned for the consequences of his actions. That is not concerned about others. It is not concerned for the heart of his father. And yet here he is concerned. He is, has pity and compassion such that he swore himself as a pledge that he would bear the guilt if anything were to happen to Benjamin. And this change of heart for the concern for his father, we see something of God at work in him. We see it also in that second aspect of the fact that he would offer himself in Benjamin's place. In chapter 37, he is the one who wanted to sell Joseph. He had no concern for his brother. His heart was hardened in sin, ignoring the cries and pleas, and a leader in that event. And here, He's willing to stay behind for the rest of his life. To leave everything that he might rescue his brother from such a fate. In chapter 37, he sells his brother to be a slave in Egypt. Here in chapter 44, he is willing to give up himself as a slave in Egypt to rescue his brother. These are signs of a heart that has been changed by God. We, when we were in Genesis 38, we talked about that in, in verse 26. All of that chapter is just filled with, with sin and wickedness and the, the whole corruption of his family. But at the end of the chapter, as Tamar shows the, his, his hypocrisy, the fact that he was willing to condemn her for a sin that he had also committed. She shows his staff, his signet, his cord. And he realizes that he is the sinner in that story. That Tamar was more righteous than him. Judah's life has changed at that point. As we've seen the evidences in these chapters, the fact that he was willing to be the, the pledge for Benjamin originally, and here he acts on it. Take me. Let Benjamin go. We see in the life of Judah a life that has been redeemed by the grace of of God. You look at Judah's life and you would expect him to go the way of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, the three sons older than him who through great wickedness lost their places of prominence in the family. You would expect that to be Judah's story because he's still such a sinner. God has grace upon him and transforms his life. And we see the evidence of it here in chapter 44. 
I want to draw an application of that as we consider God's redemption here. An application of God's grace for sinners. One of the things I love about the book of Genesis is that Genesis is a very honest book. It does not hide the sins of our forefathers of the faith, of the the patriarchs of our faith. Abraham lies about his wife twice. You have the whole Hagar and Ishmael debacle. Isaac lies about his wife. He favors Esau over Jacob, even though God has promised and prophesied that Jacob is the the child of promise. Jacob is a a deceiving rascal. And of course, in the the lives of his sons, we see wickedness in the lives of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and, and Judah as well. Genesis does not hide the sin. But we see in these men, though they are sinners, they look to God, they trust in Him, and God has mercy on those great sinners. God doesn't give up on Abraham, even when his faith struggles. God did not give up on Isaac. God did not give up on Jacob. God did not give up on Judah. Our God is a God who is quick to have mercy on those who repent. And so he is quick to have mercy on all of those sinners. As we look at the lives of the patriarchs, we may not have committed the exact same sins as them, but we commit the same kinds of sins. Sins of anger, sins of doubt, sins of lies, sins of adultery, all kinds of wickedness we commit. God has promised us as we turn to him in humility and repentance, we are forgiven. And he can take a life such as Judah. He can take the Judah of Genesis 37 and 38 and mold it by his spirit into the Judah of Genesis 44. How wonderful is that? Whatever sins we have committed in our past, our God is powerful to save, to transform us into new creations in Christ Jesus. All of this is accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ, who takes our sin, who takes our guilt, and gives us his spirit that we might be made new creatures. But I don't want to just focus on God's redemption in terms of the transformation that takes place in Judah. I also want us to notice here how Judah pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this moment, when Joseph comes to, or sorry, as, as, uh, as Judah comes to, to Joseph to speak to him, all that he knows by appearance is that Benjamin is a sinner, that Benjamin is guilty. That Benjamin deserves to be a slave in Egypt. And Judah goes and he offers himself as the substitute for that sinner. We read in John 15, 13, Greater love knows no man than this, but that he would lay down his life for his friend. The greatest example of that is Jesus laying down his life for us. And that's what Judah does here for Benjamin. Now, of course, Benjamin is innocent. Judah doesn't know that. All he sees here is this appearance that Judah or that Benjamin needs to be saved. 
He needs someone to take his place. And so he goes and he offers to take that place. The difference between Jesus and Judah here is that Benjamin was actually innocent. And we are actually guilty. Jesus offers himself for real, true sinners, such as us. We deserve the wrath and condemnation of God. We deserve the judgment. Benjamin didn't, but we do. And Jesus knew that. As we read in Romans 5.8, God's love is demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were deserving justice, while we were deserving condemnation, Jesus had pity and said, take me instead. I'll take the punishment. I'll pay the price. I'll die that they might live. As we consider this passage and everything that's going on here, I want us to behold the grace of God here in Jesus Christ. What Judah is doing here is he is picturing the gospel, what Jesus will do millennia later to come and take our place to suffer for us. What we see here in this passage is God's magnificent grace that triumphs over sin. It triumphs over sin in the sense that it redeems Judah. That it takes a wicked man, such as the Judah of Genesis 37 and 38, and turns him into a righteous man, the Judah of Genesis 44. And that's what God does for us as we repent and turn to him in Christ Jesus. He, we are not defined by our past sins. We are not defined by who we used to be. We are defined by who we are in Christ. And we see the gospel pictured here as well. Yes, we are great sinners. But God has provided a great Savior in Jesus Christ. What is it that we do with our sins? We have so many sins. They just pile up and accumulate more and more. What do we do with them? We take them to the cross. We take them to Jesus Christ. We take them to the one who has paid that penalty. And Jesus, we're forgiven of all of them. We, we heard this earlier as he's stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. We're the ones who deserve to be pierced. But Jesus was pierced instead. As we turn to Christ, repent and believe on him, he gifts us life. He gifts us forgiveness. That we can live now like Judah. That we can live as men and women who've been forgiven, who've been redeemed, and can now in our own lives manifest the glory of God and Christ. I encourage you to behold this grace, this wondrous grace on display, a grace that we do not deserve, but one that is offered to us in Jesus. To cling to Christ, to turn and cling to him, And as we hold on to that grace, as we experience the forgiveness of Christ, to then go forth, to not live like how we used to be, to not live like Judah of 37 and 38, but to manifest the glory of God in Christ like the Judah of 44. 
a life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Let's close this morning in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would continue to work in us by it, that you would remind us again and again of the gospel, that you are a God that saves sinners. Lord, have mercy upon us. Transform us by your spirit and by your grace that we might live lives that shine the light of the gospel. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.